This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Um, My name is Ben Milner. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, we have about a 100-yard distance from one side to the other, so can... Can everybody hear me from the farthest? Daniel, Paul, can you hear me? Okay, so it looks like I'm speaking loud enough. Um, So we have been in the book of Romans, and uh, we're coming close to the end of what sometimes is called the theological portion of Romans, which is mostly about um, the doctrines about God and the gospel. And we're going to move into the ethical sections, which build on the theological in a couple of weeks, but we're coming close to the end of the, the theological this evening. And uh, we've been looking at Romans 9 through 11, which is this part of Romans uh, that's notoriously difficult, not only to interpret, but also um, to feel good about. Uh, It's a very difficult part because uh, we saw in Romans 9 that um, Paul is agonizing about the, uh, the, the plight of his Jewish brothers and sisters. Paul is Jewish. A lot of his Jewish brothers and sisters have rejected Christ. They did not accept him as their Messiah. And this kind of destroyed and devastated Paul, although he had done it himself, he had persecuted Christians. So he's agonizing over the fate of Israel. And the very first thing he tells himself, and this is really hard for us to hear, but in Romans 9 he said, basically, look, God is not beholden to anyone to save them. In other words, not every human being deserves to be saved. He doesn't owe salvation to anyone. Uh, Paul said that God has mercy on whom he will have mercy. And uh, that's actually a quote from Moses. So this is an idea throughout the whole Bible, is God doesn't owe anyone salvation. He's not an equal opportunity savior. That's not the way it works in the kingdom. Salvation is a radical gift. So we saw that back in Romans 9. And, of course, I got a lot of questions after that sermon. And I would always say, well, I didn't didn't write that. I'm just telling you what Paul wrote. Um, But but a lot of the questions were about um, two things. And maybe these have been in your mind the last few weeks. Number one, what about free will? Um, Don't we have free will? If if God is the one making these choices about who he saves and who he doesn't save, doesn't that uh, abnegate our free will? Doesn't that that deny our free will? So that's the first thing. Second thing uh, is, what about evangelism? If God chooses who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved, then why would you even tell anyone about the gospel? So those are two great objections. And... um, Paul is such a, a brilliant mind and such a, such a keen debater. He, he constantly argued with people. He did that every single day of his life, constantly engaging in the best kind of argument, debate, um, the way that the Jewish tradition was, a rabbinic, uh, back and forth, kind of Socratic method. And so Paul anticipates these two questions. Uh, it's not like he didn't think about these things. And, the, the, and he speaks to them both in the passage today. And I don't know if you, re- you recognize that when Caroline was reading, but... First of all, he addresses the, the free will question. Um, and he says, that, well, actually, he, he begins with evangelism. 
And he says uh, this very famous thing um, where he says, like, how can anybody... How can anybody accept Christ unless they hear about Christ? And how can they hear about Christ unless someone comes and tells them about Christ? And so you should all tell people about Christ. That's the first thing he says. We've got to evangelize. He says, yes, God is the one who ultimately brings someone in. It's ultimately God's decision who and who is not is saved, but it's up to us to tell the good news. That's the first thing he says. And second thing he says is, look, we have free will. Uh, Obviously, we have free will. We make choices. We, we decide whether to come here tonight. And, and, and Paul has this vision at the end of this passage of God holding out his hands all day long to anyone who wants to come and believe in him. Uh, it says in 1 Timothy, God uh, desires that all be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. He's not rejecting anybody. Uh, anyone that goes to hell is making that choice to go there. That, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. Uh, God's not keeping them out. So, number one, we, we still need to evangelize. Number two, it's, we have free will, and we use our free will to reject God unless he comes and rescues us. So that's, that's a lot to begin with in the intro of the sermon. But I want to look at those two things. Um, and I'm going to actually do them in reverse order. So I'm going to begin with free will. Um, so let me just read three passages that kind of prove biblically that free will is a thing. I mean, it's obviously a thing because we know but in Genesis 2:16, uh, God says uh, to Adam and Eve, you're free to eat of any tree in the garden that you want. This is in the Garden of Eden. Uh, but there's one tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat that one. So right there in the story of creation, we have free will. We have God asking people, decide what you're going to believe in. You're going to believe in me? Or are you going to reject me? And then in the book of Joshua, Joshua tells the Israelites in Joshua 24:15, choose this day who you will serve, whether the Lord or the idols of Egypt. So once again, your choice. We have the freedom to choose or to reject Christ. And then most famously, John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life and would not perish. Obviously, we have free will. Again, verse 21, all day long, I opened my arms to them. The problem is that we reject God with our free will, always, everyone. Ever since Adam and Eve, every human being has been rejecting God with their free will. And so he says, all day long I held my arms open to them, but they were disobedient and rebellious. And that's just the, that's just the human condition. Uh, my favorite writer is C.S. Lewis. I read his book, Mere Christianity, when I was an atheist and I became a Christian. And C.S. Lewis uh, was also an atheist, and he said that when he was converted, uh, quote, I was the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England, because he knew that God had dragged him to himself, kicking and screaming. And in a way, I think that's true of all of us. Um, there's a sense in which God drags us, uh, because we're always trying to get away from him. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, um, Oftentimes, people will talk cheerfully about the human search for God, but to me, they might as well be talking about a, a mouse's search for a cat. In other words, he's saying, you have, you have about as much interest naturally in God as a mouse has in finding a cat. So if you know Tom and Jerry, that cartoon, you know that um, Jerry is the mouse, and Jerry was not trying to find Tom. Just the reverse. He was always running from Tom. 
And what C.S. Lewis is saying, what the Bible says, is a hard thing to believe, but it's what it says, is that we're all like these mice running around, getting out of the way anytime a cat comes. Or to make an even more disgusting metaphor, it's like when you go in the kitchen at night and you turn the light on to get something and roaches just fly into the corner. Uh, that's the way we respond biblically. Very hard thing to hear, but that's what the Bible says about how we respond to God. We, we do not like the light. We do not want to walk in the light. And we, we always talk about how like we're searching for God and he's, um, he's pushing us away, but it's exactly the opposite. God is the one searching for us and we're pushing him away. And so in verse 18, Paul says, the message has gone throughout the whole earth and the words to the whole world. In other words, um, everyone um, is capable and has been given the ability to believe in God. Uh, he's quoting from Psalm 19 where it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. Day after day after day is pouring out speech about who God is and night after night after night is revealing knowledge of him. There is no speech, there is no language, there is no tribe where the voices are not heard. So that, this is David writing in Psalm 19, King David, and he's saying that every human being all over the world and every time that's ever existed always has God's glory just streaming, like, like the sunlight just streams upon us. And God is not hiding from anyone. He's trying to show himself to everyone and we, we cover our eyes. We, we stop our ears. We don't, we don't want to hear it. That's what the Bible says. We are always pushing God away. Again, I held out my arms to them, but they were disobedient. They were rebellious. They didn't want anything to do with me. And so um, it's a great tragedy. Uh, we all know people who are running from God. Um, inside of each one of us, there is a, there is a person running from God. And it, it's a it's a deeply tragic thing. And that's why Paul begins Romans 9 through 11 by weeping and mourning the fate of all human beings that do this. This is a, I mean, you, if you're gonna be a Calvinist, which is what we're talking about here, believing in predestination, it's gotta bring you to tears. It's gotta bring you to tears because when you see the way that people turn away from God and run from God, and this, I'm talking about people who believe and don't believe. I mean, all of us. When you think about the way we just turn from God, it's so tragic. It's so devastating. And this is why we've got to tell people the good news. Starting with ourselves. Evangelism starts right here. I've got to tell myself the good news. Because we are so prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Um, this is why we have to tell people the good news is because we're always running from God. Our free will is always running from God, rejecting God, closing our eyes. So point two now, evangelism. And again, I'll say this, evangelism is not opposed to God choosing people. It's God's method of doing so. It's like God's outstretched hands that are drawing people in. And so Paul says, how can they believe if they've never heard? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? So we've got to tell people things. Um, we've got to speak. We've got to love people enough to tell them, you are so loved by God. In all your wandering and all of your 
running away and all of your ignoring God, he doesn't stop loving you. He still absolutely is in love with you and pursues you every day and comes after you and he sends people to you to tell you the good news. And so we, we've, got to, we've got to tell people good news. That should be a burden we all carry as believers. Is to, and again, starting with ourselves, telling the people who are closest to us, we've got to keep reminding each other of the good news. But here's the thing. It cannot be in a forced or coerced way. Okay, it's very important. Um, when I was an atheist, uh, I associated evangelism with mind control and, and group think. And so um, when, when evangelism gets divorced from God's own control, because God's in control, not you, and when evangelism gets divorced from, from God and his ultimate choice, then it is so easy, uh, so quickly become manipulative and coercive. And you see, and, and these are the reasons um, in the past that I did not believe in Christianity, among others. But I would see these, um, I, would, I, I would go to, I, would, I went one time to one of these things, uh, revival things, and um, they just kept playing the music over and over. And, and I could see that it was manipulative. I could see they were just working on people's emotions. And they're just trying to get them to make some kind of commitment. Uh, long altar calls, like over and over. And then like, I see that hand, you know, you all close your eyes. There maybe not even, there might not have even been a hand. You know, I've heard of churches planting people in the crowd to come forward who are already believers. And we do this stuff because we think that God's not in control. And we've got to manipulate something or conjure up something uh, to get them to come to him. And, you know, I'll say, frankly, when I was, um, when I was not a believer and there was one time uh, at this Christian camp, I don't know why I was there, but I was at a Christian camp and these these two Christians came up to me and I was very lonely and um, they started trying to kind of talk me into it. And honestly, it felt, like, uh, it felt like someone was trying to close a deal like on a car sales. You know, you know, when you feel like they keep asking you the same question and just kind of look at you like long, awkward pauses, please don't do that. That is not what, uh, that's why evangelism has such a bad name today because of stuff like that. Uh, because when we, th when we think that it's up to us, it gets ugly. Uh, but when we know that God is in control of this and, uh, and that we are not, then evangelism becomes absolutely beautiful. It, it is the most beautiful thing you can do with your life, honestly. Um, it's really important to feed people. It's important to work for justice. Um, it's important to clothe people and to listen to people. But there's nothing you can do better than to tell someone really good news about how loved they are. I mean, you can't do anything better than that. And that's why Paul says, uh, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news in chapter 15. He's quoting from Isaiah. And Isaiah is talking about where God comes to his people in exile. His people are in Babylon in exile. Actually, where Psalm 137 was written in, in Babylon, by the rivers of Babylon in exile. God's people are languishing and God comes running to them and tells them good news. He says, I'm bringing you back home. I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem. And so that's, that's what evangelism is. It's not manipulation. It's not coercion. Uh, it's not forcing a decision. It's telling someone, you're welcome. Welcome home. Come on in. It's radical hospitality. Uh, evangelism is the, is the father in the story of the prodigal son. And he sees his son from a distance, 
and he, he takes off running. He comes tearing down the path, embarrassing himself with his long robes, his sandals, and he sees his son and he comes and he hugs him and he kisses him and he, put his, he puts his ring back on him and his robe of inheritance back on him. That's evangelism, is welcoming someone into the presence of God and, uh, and then welcoming them to a party. The, the father throws a party. He kills the fatted calf and throws a party for his wayward son who has just completely rejected the family, who has just run away from the family and shamed the family. God throws a party for him. So that's what evangelism is. It's radical hospitality. It's bringing good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's welcoming people into our community, into your life. I used to meet with a guy um, who I just love this guy. He was a philosophy professor at Wake Forest. Uh, and we would meet at the lighthouse, which actually closed last week. Such a tragedy. Uh, we, we met at the lighthouse. Um, and after about the maybe fifth meeting, he started to be suspicious about why we were meeting, because I would always initiate it. And he said, you know, I'm not, I'm not being rude, but why, why do we keep meeting? Are you trying to save me? Are you trying to convert me? And I said, I could never convert you. I could never save you. Only God could do that. I'm just telling you about the person that matters most to me in my life. I'm telling you about what's in my heart and what I deeply want you to believe because it's such good news. And that's evangelism. It's just welcoming people into your life, into the one who is at the heart of your life, into the life of God. And, and God doesn't need your help. I mean, it's, we're, we are called. We are called to share the good news, but God does not need your help. He's not just anxiously waiting for someone to go. And what am I going to do if they don't go? No, he says, uh, this is in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. This is Paul the Apostle. He says, I planted seeds. I mean, I, I told people I, I planted seeds. And then this, this other guy watered them, Apollos. He went and he made, he kind of, he worked with the people after I left them. But then, but then Paul says, but it's God alone who gives the growth. My planting and Apollos watering mean nothing. God does everything. And then uh, the parable in Mark, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground night and day while he sleeps. The seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crop on its own. We just say things to people and God does all the work. He does all the work. No need to coerce. No need to manipulate. You just invite him, and then God shows off. He does all the real work. Um, I show myself to people who aren't even asking for me, in verse 20. I show myself to people who are not even asking for me. That's God. That's our God. He goes and he shows himself to people who don't care about him. I was talking to a guy last week, and I was studying this passage with him. Um, I, don't, I don't think he's here, but I don't see him. So anyway, he, um, he said that he was, just, he was one day plagued with should I go to summer camp and work with these kids, this Christian camp? And uh, he was just kind of wondering, like, if I don't go, what's going to happen to these kids? And he was talking to his pastor about it. And his pastor said, look, God's going to take care of the kids. He's going to save who's going to save. It's not that you have to go. It's that do you want to participate in what God's doing? So, so it's not that I have to evangelize. It's, it's I get to. I get to participate in what God is doing. God is the one doing all the work as he welcomes people who are prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. Again, all day long, I held out my hands to disobedient and rebellious people. So 
it's kind of corny, but uh, I just kept thinking about Journey. Uh, that song by Journey, uh, Open Arms. There's also, there's also a song by Creed, Arms Wide Open. But I thought Journey's was better than Creed's. Uh, so um, the song by Journey, if, you're, if, you're, if you know Journey from the 80s, so cheesy. But uh, the chorus is, here I am with open arms and nothing to hide. Believe what I say, here I am with open arms, hoping you'll see what your love means to me. Okay, so that's incredibly cheesy, and I am embarrassed to admit that I like that song. But I, I do hear, I hear Christ in that song saying, you have no idea what your love means to me. If you would just come to me. I so long for you to come to me. You know, he could have sung that song on the Mount of Olives uh, when he was overlooking Jerusalem. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in the Gospels, uh, right before he's about to die, he's looking out over Jerusalem, the, the people that are about to kill him. And this is in Matthew 23, 37. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, city that kills the prophets, how I have longed to gather you under my wings as a mother hen protects her chickens, but you did not want to come to me. Jerusalem, he's, he's about to be killed by them, and he longs for them to come. And he knows they're going to kill him, but he's longing for them to, he wants to protect them. And I have not been to Jerusalem. Uh, I long to go to Jerusalem one day. Um, but there's a church, and I want to go to this church. It's on the Mount of Olives, and those of you who've been to Jerusalem may have been there. It's called uh, the Dominus Flavit, F-L-E-V-I-T. Dominus Flavit Church. And that means in Latin, uh, the Lord weeps. And the church is in this shape of a teardrop. It's beautiful. You can Google that. and It's absolutely gorgeous. The Dominus Flavit Church. Um, it's located right where Jesus wept. It's right where he wept. That's where they built the church. And so they built an altar where they served the Lord's Supper like this. And on the altar is this beautiful mosaic, which you can also Google. And it is a picture of a mother hen with her arms out, welcoming in her chicks. And, and when you look at the altar, it's looking right out over Jerusalem. And, uh, and if you know about mother hens and their chicks, um, if, you if you have a mother hen and, and little chicks, and you take a a cardboard cut out of an eagle or an owl, and you kind of swing it over, it's kind of cruel to do that, but um, if you would swing that cardboard cut out over the hens, like even if they see the, the shadow of that thing, they immediately come over and gather their little chicks under their wings, and they bundle them up tight. And farmers even said that they've, they've seen um, mother hens like be killed by predators, or even burned up by fire to protect the little children under her wings. And that's what God longs for for all of us at this table is uh, he longs to gather us together under his wings. There's protection here. There's safety here. There's love here. This is, this is the father or the mother welcoming children. And so uh, you're all welcome to come and partake of this meal. Uh, we don't want to force you. We don't want to coerce you. We don't want to manipulate you. You're all welcome. And yet we also want to acknowledge that some of you are not ready to come and you don't feel right about coming. And that's fine. Uh, we want to be a zero manipulation church. Um, we don't want to coerce anyone to do anything they're not comfortable with. So 
Um, if that's you, feel no pressure to come up here. Uh, and I'm going to pray for us uh, as we come to this table.